special guests with us uh, today, and uh, they come from the Ukraine. And uh, Steve has been there uh, just a couple weeks ago in Ukraine, and he's also brought a special guest with him. Mm -hmm. And uh, she's from Ukraine, and her dad is a pastor in Ukraine that's still there, still pastoring there, still having church uh, in Ukraine, and she'll be sharing as well. But uh, Steve has been, uh, we all know Steve, or most of us should know Steve. If you don't know Steve, uh, he's the director of EuroAsia, <laughs> the Pentecostal Assemblies of Canada. And uh, he likes to come and visit us, which we're very grateful for. And uh, he has come, uh, as he just came back to Canada, we get to uh, have that blessing to hear him and have him share here in our church. And so bless you, Steve, as you come. Thank you. Well, thanks, Dwayne, and uh, good morning, Bethel. How you guys all doing this morning? It is a joy and delight to be here. As uh, Dwayne said, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Steve Herzog, and uh, I am the husband of but one wife, Patty. And we have been married for 39 years. We have three beautiful adopted daughters, and we have eight wonderful grandchildren. Hallelujah. As one of my friends, yeah, praise God. As one of my friends has said, if I knew how much fun grandkids were going to be, I would have had them first, praise God. Um, but really, we, uh, we have a great family. And I have my niece here, who I'll introduce to you more in a second from Ukraine. And she's going to be sharing a little bit about uh, what's going on in her country, so will I. Uh, just wanted to say, too, that my wife and I have been married for 39 years. Actually, in four months, it will be 40 years. I married her when she was eight. You can do the math. Forty years together, which, by the way, should prove to you conclusively that miracles still happen today. But, um, you know, I was at the Bible College for many, many years in Edmonton. I was at Vanguard. And one of our students asked us a while ago, specifically asked my wife. I think at that time we had been married for 30 years or something. And uh, one of my, one of my st students asked Patty, and he said, you know, in all these years, you've been married to Steve. Like, have you ever thought of divorcing him? Did it ever cross your mind? Right? And my wife was actually quoting Billy Graham's wife, Ruth, who had said, was asked the same question years ago. And my, my wife kind of smiled, and she pretended to look shocked. And she said, divorcing him? No. Never. Never. And then she smiled, and she said, killing him, yes, many, many times. So, folks, you will never see me divorced, but you may see me dead. You may be attending my funeral one day soon. Who knows? But anyways, but I bring that up to say that, uh, you know, for the last just about eight years now, time flies, uh, I left the school, and I have had the privilege and honor of being the regional director for PAOC. That's the family of churches that this church belongs to, the Pentecostal Sons of Canada. Uh, I've been the regional director for PAOC missions in Eurasia, which is Europe and the different countries, about, about 60 nations total in, uh, in Central Asia. And one of the things I can honestly say, you know, statistically, kind of globally about my region is that it's probably, overall, I hate to say this, kind of the spiritually deadest region on the planet. Europe, especially, is post-Christian. In fact, in many ways, it's anti-Christian. People there, they've had the traditional churches for hundreds and hundreds of years. They're sick of them. They're fed up with them. They don't want anything to do with them. Their attitude is like, been there, done that, bought the T-shirt, really, really don't want to go back there. And so Europe today is a place that really, really desperately, desperately needs the gospel. Uh, I was here back in January of last year, so just a little over a year ago, 
And I asked you a question then. I'll ask you the same question now. We'll see who was listening back there. Uh, how many of you here, like before COVID, you have traveled in Europe? Raise your hands. Okay, a whole bunch of you, that's great. So those, of, those world travelers among you who've been to Europe, let me ask you another question. When you went to Europe, what did you notice in virtually all major cities, and even secondary, minor cities, they all have one thing in common. When you go to any city in Europe, you find churches, lots of them. And in fact, not just churches. We have churches here. What we don't have here and they have there, cathedrals. Huge, beautiful, wonderful, magnificent cathedrals. These things are like works of art, folks. They've got stained glass and paintings and sculptures. They're, they're, they're awesome. Next question. What do all of these awesome, wonderful, magnificent cathedrals all over Europe have in common? Yes. Yes, that's exactly what we said last time. They're empty, except for tourists, of course. They're empty, completely empty. And folks, that is a metaphor for the state of Christianity in Europe today. The church in Europe, which once had a prominent, in fact, I would say dominant position in society, today it's completely ignored, completely irrelevant, completely marginalized by culture. People, it's, it's not even on people's radar screens. Right? And, and by the way, you don't have to believe me you can believe the statistics. So if you, you know, there's different sources you can go to for mission statistics. I go to Operation World on the website, on, on, online. You can just Google it at some point, Operation World. Another one is the Joshua Project. But Operation World, according to Operation World, what percentage of the Canadian population do you think is evangelical Christian here in Canada? Anybody know? Pardon? I heard something. 10%. I love your optimism, if not your sense of reality. That's a bit high, actually. 2% would be a bit low. I think you have to increase your faith, sister. Um, it's actually... Operation World says that Canada, supposedly, is 7.7% evangelical Christian. 7.7%. By the way, the states is something like 20-something percent, supposedly. Um, the world average, apparently, is 6%. 6%. So do you know, of the 60 or so countries in my region... Only five of them, so about 8%, only five, reach that 6% evangelical or more threshold. And by the way, if you're curious, in no particular order, those five countries are Sweden, Finland, Denmark, Latvia, and England. So five countries, 8%, have 6% or more evangelicals in the population, the world average. Of the 60 countries, 40 of them, 40, two-thirds, have 1% or less evangelical Christians in the population, including the nation where Patty and I live, Slovakia. In Slovakia, it's a small country, 5.5 million people. Used to be part of the old Czechoslovakia, if you remember that. Um, and there's about 55,000 evangelicals, so exactly 1% of, of the population is evangelical. Folks, in the country where we are, 99% of people do not have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. 99%. And by the way, Slovakia, where we hang out, that's absolute revival compared to many nations around us. So... A three-and-a-half-hour drive from my house is the nation of Slovenia, where I actually have former students who are pastoring there. And in Slovenia, folks, it's not 1% evangelical. By the way, Slovenia is a beautiful little country of 2.5 million people. It's a really lovely place. But 
it's less than one-tenth of one percent evangelical. If you go to Turkey, one of the larger nations in my region, 80 million people, about only about 10,000 evangelicals, folks, that is way less than one-tenth of one percent evangelical. That is the spiritual state of Europe today. Europe today is a very, very dead continent spiritually that is in desperate, desperate need of revival and awakening. And yet in all of that, the truth is, folks, even in spiritually dead Europe, folks, God is working. God is moving. Like the Bible says, I see a cloud the size of a man's hand. I see little sparks, little snippets of revival. Folks, let me tell you something. God is working. And that's what I really want to stress today. If you have your Bibles, either the old-fashioned printed versions or the ones on your cell phone or whatever your tablet, take them out. John chapter 5. We're going to read just a few verses um, and while you're getting those ready, I'll give you a little background. The fact that God is moving, even amidst a spiritually dead landscape, should not surprise us. Because, folks, if, if you look at the Gospel of, of John, right, John records Jesus doing a bunch of absolutely wonderful things, healing people, delivering people. So, so lots of people love him. God is at work in Jesus' time. People, people love Jesus. The leaders, not so much. The leaders are actually kind of ticked at Jesus because even though he's doing these great things, he's going against a lot of their traditions and social conventions while he does them. So if you look at John 1, John 1, Jesus calls disciples, right? Which, by the way, was totally normal. All great rabbis had disciples. There's nothing new there. Jesus doesn't call the educated, learned men. He calls the unschooled, the uneducated, ordinary people, fishermen, not scholars, fishermen. And he even calls people that everybody else despised, that hated, like, like tax collectors. In chapter 2, he does it again. Jesus goes to worship at the temple. Again, totally normal, totally expected of all great rabbis. But he does the completely unexpected when he gets there by making a whip out of cords and driving the money changers and the animal sellers out of the temple courts because they were ripping off the people and giving the leaders, the religious leaders, a kickback. In chapter 3 of John, he teaches Nicodemus, a member of the ruling council, and again, totally normal. Rabbis taught other rabbis. That's very cool. But in chapter 4, he teaches a Samaritan woman at the well. And folks, this blew people away. This, people thought he was nuts, he was wrong, he shouldn't have been doing this. Why? Because first of all, she was a woman. And back then, you didn't teach women anything. Women weren't considered worthy or even capable of education. There's a rabbinic, I'm, I'm a Jewish Christian, by the way, you can tell from this nose, I'm not Filipino, um, that, and I can tell you there's a Jewish rabbinic saying that goes back to, right to the time of Jesus, and it says this, better to burn the precepts of the law than to teach them to a woman. So back then, women were not considered to be even worthy of any education. And worse than that, folks, worse She's not just a woman that he's teaching, but she's a Samaritan woman. Jews hated Samaritans. Why? Jews considered them half-breeds. Samaritans were people who were partly Jewish, but they were mixed race. They mingled and intermarried with the, the people that the Assyrians had deported into the land years earlier. And so they practiced a form of Judaism, but with many pagan elements. So the Jews hated them. They considered them beneath contempt. They didn't associate with them, didn't eat with them, didn't hang out with them, didn't do business with them, period. So he teaches not just a woman, but a Samaritan woman. And people thought he was nuts. 
And then we pick up the story in John chapter 5. So Jesus, for the first several chapters of John, has been doing all these things, and people kind of thought he was crazy. And we pick up the story in John chapter 5, when Jesus does this completely wonderful thing. He heals a paralyzed beggar by the pool in verses 1 to 9 of John 5. Praise God. That's the good news. What's the bad news? He does it. He heals her, uh, heal him rather, on the Sabbath. He heals on the Sabbath, which gets the ruling class really steamed because they believed it was actually against the law to heal on the Sabbath. And we pick up the story, John chapter 5, verses 16 to 19. So because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jewish leaders began to persecute him. In his defense, Jesus said to them, my father is always at work, and to this day, and I too am working. For this reason, they tried all the more to kill him. I mean, not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Jesus gave them this answer. Very truly, I tell you, the son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees the father doing. Because whatever the father does, the son also does. May the Lord bless the reading of his word to our hearts this morning. Folks, I want to give you a little report on what's been happening in my region over the last year or so. And hopefully, I want to encourage you this morning at the same time with three things from this passage of Scripture. Number one, my first point, and maybe my most important point today, is that God is still working. God is still moving, even in spiritually dead places like Europe, even in war-torn countries like Ukraine, which I just got back from. Folks, as, as, as I travel around the region, as I said, I see these little sparks, these little snippets of revival where God is moving even uh, among the terrible conditions. So, for example, Ukraine. I could go on all day talking about Ukraine. I won't. But, you know, the, the, the family of churches that we primarily work with, and that uh, my niece and her dad is a pastor in this movement, in this denomination, um, it's called the Churches of Praise. The, the, uh, the churches, so if you want to just get the next slide, there it is. The guy holding the mic, you kind of see him from the side. Uh, his name was Pastor Gregory. I say was because he passed away just over a year ago, just before the war started. This, this was a really, really cool guy. He was a pastor of a church. He was in something called the Pentecostal Union, which was kind of a very conservative denomination. And uh, around the mid-90s, he actually got kicked out of his denomination. They gave him the left foot of fellowship, uh, largely because... They were very conservative, and he wanted to do some innovative things, better reach out to the community, right? And so he was kicked out of the denomination, um, and, and so now he's praying. He said, okay, God, I've, I've, I've never been independent before. What do I do now? He had a church of a few hundred people in Krivi Rog, a town in southern Ukraine, and the Holy Spirit spoke to him. And the Holy Spirit said, Gregory, I want you to plant churches, and I want you to do it focusing on the widow and the orphan. Well, that was 95, 96. Fast forward, in, in, well, 96, he started his own denomination called the Churches of Praise. Today, there are 65 churches in that denomination, folks. In, what, 27 years, they have planted 65 churches. I just came back from a pastor's conference in Ukraine where most of their pastors were. It's incredible. From nothing, from one church to 65 churches. And, by the way, they also have works in 24 different state-run orphanages. They have Christian programs in these government orphanages where they've seen hundreds of orphan kids come to faith in Jesus Christ. Praise God. 
So don't tell me that God is not working, is alive and well, even in spiritually dead Europe. And, and one of the churches, uh, and this is probably the church that we work with the closest, is actually pastored by a guy named Vadim Ignatenko, who's become a dear a friend of mine. This church is in Poltava, Ukraine. It's kind of in the east central area. And uh, this church was founded 19 years ago, so 2004. And in 19 years, this church has grown. It's about 300 plus people now. But folks, this church has also planted 14 other churches. One church in 19 years has planted 14 churches. Guys, I am a member of a church in Edmonton. That church is 106 years old this year. In 106 years, we haven't come close to planting 14 churches. And they've done it in 19 years. And by the way, not just 16, uh, sorry, 14 churches, but they've also got another five alcohol and drug rehab centers. To minister, they have a huge addiction problem in Ukraine. So folks, God is working incredibly in Ukraine, in, in, this, in this church especially. And again, don't believe me, I brought my niece all the way from Ukraine. She is a Ukrainian refugee and uh, she's living here in, in Edmonton right now. And her dad, Vadim, is the pastor of this church. And I'm gonna ask her to come up now. Her name is Maria, we call her Masha, it's her nickname. And just give you a little update of what God is doing through her church. Because folks, God is moving even in spiritually dead Europe. So let's give a big round of applause to Masha today. Thanks, Masha. Hello, church. I'm really glad to be here. It's an honor to share what God's doing, and he's still working. And my name is Maria, and I came from Ukraine, and this culture is pretty new for me. <laughs> but I think um, God's the same for every nation, right? So... And my dad, Vadim, he's a lead pastor of all of these 14 churches that you heard previously. And he's an amazing person. I really, um, you know, I have a big respect what he's doing. He's still there in Ukraine till the time that whole his family here in Canada in safe place. But he is still working. He is still going every day and serving there. And I want to say that God's still moving in Ukraine. He's still moving and he will continue moving during any times. It's a lot of darkness, but it's a lot of light. It's like gates were opened for revival like that is going. And I want to share what God's doing. And I have some small report about it. And I will go and say about missionary part, about outreaches, about use, and about work with refugees. What is going there and what this um, union of Good News Church doing for people there. And uh, from the missionary part, uh, we have created a missionary school. It's like more like church planting school. And there were like 30 students that have uh, opened new six churches. That's amazing. Like from 30 people, they opened new six churches and also like two, two new rehabs for people. And it's happened on the fourth month of the war. So it was like super fast. And next one, um, our church started going by phase. Like they making a steps on phase. And um, during war, we were hosting people that were like a refugees. They were going from different areas. And we were hosting them in our building, in a big building. And there were like 56 people. And they were living with their pets, with cats, with dogs. It was like no ark, you know? <laughs> it was really fun. And uh, we were feeding them. We were saying about Jesus because a lot of them didn't know about God. But we can show them real God's love indeed. 
and we were taking care of them for more than seven months. Like during this period, they were living there and um, they also, church was giving a humanitarian aid and mental uh, support for them and also spiritual support because it's so important in nowadays. And uh, also, next one, what I want to say that uh, a lot of members from our church, they go into the front lines where it's really dangerous. You can see, like, hear sounds of, uh, like, battles and what's happening. And uh, our people, they, they go in there and they bring in food, supplement, and also, like, humanitarian aid. And they also bring in good news that God's love. And he never forget that they're there and uh, he loves them and he wants a new life for them and also they bring joy of course and also they helping people they praying for them like they giving also spiritual support and uh, they evacuated more than 2,000 people from the front line during this time it's incredible I can say that people are saved in a spiritual way, in a physical way, like church doing it, and use all the means uh, that is possible. Also, um, this church, uh, we fed more than 9,000 people um, that were going through our city, because our city was like a transit city. Uh, it's like a shelter, but people usually going more to the west, because we on the east side, and like, our city is like 150 kilometers from the front line, so it's not super safety, but also it's more safety than other parts. And our church, we're going to the like train stations, and a lot of people come in, like uh, they scared, they don't know what to do, and they're really hungry, right? And our church, we're giving them food, and also they were praying for them, and saying like about salvation, about God, about how God can save them. And it was amazing. And can you imagine like 9,000 people were reached through this? Because it just someone went to the train station. And um, next one is that during this missionary school, this um, is on, not only one school that was about like church planting, but another three were opened in another one cities because of this. And also there were more than so, uh, 30 students in uh, each of these church, uh, each of these schools, and they also start planning new churches. That's amazing. It's you know like um, cause and effect. It's like going. It's like step by step, and that's amazing. And also during this time, we have other like um, people who are refugees, and they live in, in our city, and they decided to stay. And it's more than 400 people that we're going through us, and we're still helping them. We gave, we're giving them, like, product, product um, help, like, product sets, I can say, and we're still working with them. We're saying about good news and what God's doing. Also, what about youth? What about kids? It's, uh, it's amazing. I can even imagine how it's beautiful because um, during summer, in such a situation, we were able to do more than uh, 11 summer camps for kids. We were bringing joy. We were bringing, like, games. You know, and also saying about salvation during this time. It was such a bright time. And um, in this 11 um, summer camps, we were more than 500 kids that were just from the streets, from the community. They never heard about Jesus. But now we're bringing Jesus to them. And it's amazing. And another one, seven, um, after that, seven camps happened. And uh, our team did more than 12 outreaches for kids, just these programs. And 32 events for kids, too. And uh, 15 master classes. And 12 lessons about Jesus, who he is, and how to grow with him that he is lovely and he is beautiful and he loves you, you know, and it's so important to know that they have father. They always will have father. 
and uh, from the September we have opened four um, kids clubs I can say and they um, gather in every week and there ca came more than 600 kids during this time they are like coming coming and coming and like on this February we were counting how many kids were there and it's like 600 it's crazy it's amazing I don't know I just feel such a joy sharing it you know it's like God is so faithful he used like weakness to show the strength and it's like it's beautiful and uh, in general about kids it was like 1800 kids in our Poltava region were reached and they heard about Jesus and that he loves them that's amazing that's amazing and I want to say that um, really Canada helped us a lot with everything uh, to make it um, happen uh, because it's also um, sometimes you need you some supplement or you need to help and I know that God started his revival and he will not stop he know what to do he just need a heart that will go and will just go to the streets saying that Jesus loves you and you know just feel that there is no obstacles no circumstances can stop you to say that Jesus is here and you know even if people losing hope there's another hope that everlasting is forever and then it's what I wanted to share with you Thanks. Uh, thank you so much Masha and guys I don't know if you remember but when I was here last January you guys were kind enough to take up an offering and raise money for Ukraine and if you ever kind of wonder when we give money to missions where Dwayne does it actually go let me tell you where it goes it was in part your funding and funding from other churches like this that allowed us to put on that church planting school where since by the way that was last summer and students went out from that school and planted six new churches that's where your money goes it was part of the money from this church and other churches like Bethel that allowed us to buy a van for her dad and the church and that van that van is the van that and I've been on it and I've been on some of these runs uh, where they go and they distribute groceries and humanitarian aid to these villages on the front line that desperately need it that's where your money goes your money goes to these children's outreaches that see all sorts of kids coming and coming to Christ and by the way just so you know of those six new churches that were planted in the last year since last summer two of them were actually started I actually preached in one a few weeks ago two of them were actually started by kids outreaches that actually grew and families came and now there's a church of 40 people that's where your money goes Folks, let me tell you something God is still working praise God and we actually get the honor and privilege of working with him and that's my second point this morning number one God is still moving and number two we need to work with him look at verse 19 verse 19 in this passage Jesus says the son can only do what he sees his father doing because whatever the father does the son also does folks this tells me something it tells me that my job as the regional director for Eurasia our job generally as Canadian global workers is to go into these places and find out where God is moving what he is doing and then join in get on board get involved help fan these little flames of revival into a great fire people people often ask me you know what's your vision for Ukraine or what's your vision for Eurasia and just to get them thinking I usually come back with my short one-line pithy answer and I usually say I don't have one 
And people look at me funny, like you're looking at me now. And by the way, just to make you feel better, yes, we do have a strategic plan. We have goals. We have objectives. We have timelines. We have people responsible. And if you're ever having trouble sleeping, just contact me. I'll, send, I'll email you our strategic plan. I guarantee a miracle cure. So we do have a plan, we do have things we want to see accomplished, and we are accomplishing, praise God. But folks, understand something. When I go to a country like Ukraine, I don't necessarily have to have a vision. Why? Because it's not my country. I don't speak the language, I don't know the culture. I need a visa to get in, I can be kicked out at any time. Right? It's not my country. It's their country. And God is raising up people like Masha's dad, my friend. And God is raising up national leaders. They have a vision that God has given them for their... their my job is not to go into Ukraine and tell them this is God's vision. My job is to go into Ukraine and be like Aaron and her in Exodus 17. Do you remember the story in Exodus 17? Moses and Joshua and the Israelites are fighting the Amalekites, right? Joshua is with the army in the valley. He's fighting. Moses is up on the hill, and he's praying for the Israelites in the battle, and he's got his hands up. And by, by the way, this is verses 9 to 13 of Exodus 17. And what does the Bible say happens? As Moses has his hands up, what happens? The Israelites are winning. They're winning the battle against the Amalekites. But by this time, Moses is an old guy. He's probably at least 100 years old, so he, that would make him probably close to Pastor Dwayne in age. And, you know, natural, when you get to be Dwayne's age, you know, the old arms are what they used to be. And so Moses' hands start getting tired, and they start drooping. And then when his hands go down, what does the Bible say happens? They start losing. So what's the answer? I'll tell you. Aaron, Moses' brother, and her, Moses' friend, they come. And they get on either, first of all, they sit Moses down on a rock. And they get on either side of him, one on one side, one on the other. And they each hold his hands up, one hand each. And the Bible says, they hold his hands up till sunset, and Israel defeats the Amalekites. And the moral of the story, folks, is together, together, Moses, Aaron, and her win a battle that Moses could not have won alone. That's my job. That's our job as Canadians. I don't have to go into Ukraine with a big vision. My job is to find the Vadims. My job is to find the national Joshua's and Moses's. God is already raising up. He's doing it. I just have to find where he's working, as Jesus said, and work with him. I go in there, and I say, Vadim, what's the vision God has given you for your country? Because he speaks the language. He knows the culture. He's actually from there. Right? He doesn't need a visa to get in. And my job is to say, what is God showing you about your country, and how can I lift up your hands? How can we be the Canadian Moses, um, the Canadian Aaron's and hers, the Canadian brothers and friends who come and who lifts up the hands of the national leaders so together we win a battle none of us can win alone? That's my job, folks. And every time you guys pray, every time you guys give, you allow me to go into places like this and hold up their hands. So when they need $3,000 to put, a, put on a missionary school, a church planting school, we have that money, we send it to them, they put on the school, six new churches are actually planted. Right? When they need money, we can say, yeah, we'll give you $4,000 a month, go and distribute groceries to these villages on the front lines, and they can go, and folks, they can give people a cup of cold water in Jesus' name, and these people are so spiritually open, it's amazing. Okay? Folks, the truth is, Jesus said, 
My father is always at work. He's working everywhere. My job is to find out what he's doing, who he's doing it with, and lift up their hands. And if we can do that, we are going to be very successful. Praise God. Um, and by the way, last point this morning. So Jesus said in verse 17, my father is always at work. God is always working. Second point, the son only does what he sees his father doing. Our job is to work with him. Get on board. And number three, if we're actually going to do this, by the way, whether it's in Ukraine or whether it's in St. Paul, Alberta, I guarantee you, I promise you, number three, if you're going to actually get on board and, you know, do what you see the father doing, it's going to be, point number three, very, very countercultural. And some people are going to think you're nuts. They will, folks. They just will. I guarantee it. And it's going to involve breaking cultural traditions and going against what most people think is, quote-unquote, normal. And we see this actually twice in John chapter 5. Look at verse 16. It says, because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jewish leaders began to persecute him. And then it gets worse. Look at verse 18. For this reason, they tried all the more to kill him. I mean, not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Folks, they were mad at Jesus. So mad in fact, that verse 16 says they're trying, they start persecuting him. And verse 18 says they're even trying to kill him. Partly because he was breaking the law by healing on the Sabbath. So let me ask you a question. You all look like a group of budding Bible scholars here. I taught at the Bible college for 23 years. Let me ask you a question. Were they right? Were the Jewish leaders right? Was Jesus actually breaking the law, I mean the law of Moses, the biblical law, by healing on the Sabbath? Yes or no? I hear a couple yeses. I hear several noes. Okay, um, so we have a bit of a divided house. Um, well, let me ask you a question. For people who say yes, he was actually breaking the law, where... Where in the law does it actually say that? Where in the law, the law of Moses, which can be found in the first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch, where does it ever say anywhere, thou shalt not heal on the Sabbath? Can anyone anywhere here Use your dictionaries, use your concordances, use your, Google it, I don't care. Can anyone here give me chapter and verse, chapter and verse, where it says that healing on the Sabbath is actually against the law? I'll tell you, you can't, because it doesn't exist. There is no such chapter and verse. The law of Moses never, ever, ever once says it's illegal to hear on, heal, sorry, on the Sabbath. Now, having said that, let me also say this. Folks, the Pharisees weren't stupid. They knew the law. They knew it very, very well. In fact, let me tell you, they knew the law better than you and I combined. Many of them actually had the law memorized. By the way, I've actually seen this. I have seen 10-year-old, we call them Haradim, really, really ultra-religious Jewish kids who have the entire first five books of Moses memorized. 10 years old! Folks, we go to a, 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 a scripture memory contest, and if we can spit out three verses, we think we're doing really well. 
Oh, uh, John 3.16, for God so loved the world. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, you know, oh, John 11.17, Jesus wept. Oh, that's a good one. Shortest verse in the Bible. Um, you know, uh, to be or not to be. No, that's Shakespeare, never mind. Um, <coughs> these guys, 10-year-old kids, have the entire Pentateuch memorized. Don't tell me they don't know the law. They do. So let me ask you another question. If they know the law so well, and such a verse doesn't exist, how come they were really ticked? How come they were so ticked to Jesus that they accused him of breaking the law on the Sabbath, by healing on the Sabbath? They knew it was not in the law of Moses. They knew that. So what law was it in? You see, folks, the Bible says, never says, thou shalt not heal on the Sabbath. It never says that. What the Bible does say is, thou shalt not work on the Sabbath. Now, the problem is, the Bible very generally does not define exactly what work is. There's a few references in places like Ezra and Nehemiah to not, you know, not do any buying and selling on the Sabbath. But aside from that, the Bible says don't work on the Sabbath, but it's very vague as to exactly what constitutes work. So what the rabbis did, by the way, this was long before Jesus' time. What the rabbis did, the rabbis got together and said, okay, the Bible doesn't really define what work is. So we're going to define it. We're going to say exactly what is and what is not work so people don't sin by working even accidentally because they don't realize it's work. Right? And so the, the, they said, okay, you know, the Bible says you can't buy, you can't sell, but we're going to say you can't do A, B, C, D, E, F, like a whole bunch of things, including healing. The rabbis said, don't heal on the Sabbath. It was against the rabbinic law, not the biblical law. But this teaching had been around for hundreds of years before Jesus, had been around for so long, people thought it was the same. People thought it was all one and the same law, which, by the way, it wasn't. And so even though it was breaking rabbinic tradition and rabbinic teachings, it wasn't breaking the actual biblical law. And so you know something? Jesus simply didn't care. He healed on the Sabbath, even though it was against their cultural traditions, because his father was always working. And he needed to do what he saw his father doing. His father was always loving people, caring for people, blessing people, and he wanted to do the same. And he didn't care if it offended people or if people thought he was crazy. Or would, and by the way, again, remember, he calls disciples in John 1. He didn't care that they were unlearned, uneducated men. Just didn't care. He didn't look at their degrees. He looked at their hearts. Right? In John chapter 2, right, um, we, when he goes to the temple, right, he didn't care that the fact that, you know, everybody thought that the, the money changers and the animal sellers, they had a totally legitimate right to be there. Jesus makes the whip out of the cords and drives them away because he doesn't want God's house turned into a market where people are being ripped off. It should be a house of prayer. Didn't care what people thought. Right? He teaches the Samaritan woman at the well, because even though she's a woman and she's a Samaritan, because he doesn't care if Jews didn't associate with them, because she's still a human being made in God's image that God loves intensely. And by the way, so are every one of you. That's the Jesus we serve. That's the God that we serve, folks. Even though people think he's nuts, he goes on loving and caring and blessing. Nonetheless. And folks, it's going to be, it's going to have to be the same with us. Okay? Um, you, folks, people thought Gregory was crazy. You're going to build a church on orphans and widows? Don't you know there's no money there? There's no stable family structure there. You can't do that. Well, you know something? God was in it, so he did it. And today, there's 65 churches proving that you can do that. 
if God is in it. Amen? Because God was working, and Gregory saw what the Father was doing, and he went along, and he did the same thing, even though people thought he was crazy. When Patty and I, I'll just be honest with you, it's almost eight years now, when I left the Bible, I was president of the Bible college, when I left the Bible college to go and be a global worker with our fellowship in Slovakia, some people told me to my face, they thought I was crazy. You're 55, at the time, you're 55 years old. For the first time in your life, you're not going to get a steady paycheck. You're going to have to raise your own support. You're going to have to go to Slovakia of all places. Like, why would you do that? Are you nuts? But because we were nuts enough, to, by the way, and people said, plus you're Jewish. And your region has a whole bunch of Arab countries where Jews are not exactly welcome, if you know what I mean. Well, because we were nuts enough to do this, I, for the last eight years, I've had the best season of ministry of my entire life. And we, Patty and I just feel so blessed. We're, and by the way, Patty is not here because she's in Europe right now, back in Slovakia as we speak. Okay. Um, but folks, whether, whether you're working with God, whether it's in Ukraine or Slovakia or in St. Paul, I guarantee you, you start doing what God is calling you to do, and people will think you're totally nuts. But you know something? Do it anyways. That's really, I, th I find, when God works. And I'll close with a, a, a true story from Ukraine. Um, you want to know where your mission's money goes? There's a guy. His name is Pastor Sergei. Okay, if you just keep going a couple slides. Yeah, do you see him right there on the left? Good guy, cool guy. Late 40s, very faithful pastor. Um, he's been pastoring a church, one of our churches in Zaporizhia. And by the way, you may have heard of Zaporizhia because that's where the big, big nuclear power plant is. It's been in all the news. Power plant's about 50 kilometers out of town. And by the way, it's occupied by the Russians. But he's in the town, which is still Ukrainian. And uh, he's been pastoring there faithful as the day is long. Small church, 30 people, was a church of 30 people for 20 years. And then the war came. And then his church of 30 became a church of 20 and 15 because half of his congregation fled because they were refugees because of the war. And Zaporizhia is under attack, by the way. When I was there just a few weeks ago, it was uh, Friday, February 10th. We were in Krivi Rogue. 17 missiles, 17 Russian missiles were launched against Zaporizhia. 17 missiles hit that city in one hour, because it's so close to the front. And while everybody was fleeing that city, Sergei, that guy you see in the left, that guy, him and his wife, we were at a pastor's conference, they left early to go back to Zaporizhia and make sure that their people and their town were okay. That guy's a hero. Amazing. Talk about countercultural. But anyways, this guy, he's, he was a pastor of a church there for 20 years, church of 30 people. When the war hits, half the congregation leaves. The rest of them are all unemployed because the war destroyed the economy. Nobody has a job. There's no money from the church to support him. He's got to do odd jobs now just to try to survive. And he, there's just not enough work. He can't live. He can't, he can't put bread on the table to feed his family. He's got three kids. And so him and his wife had decided to leave. They were going to leave Zaporizhia. And they were going to go to Lviv in western Ukraine, which is bigger, more economic opportunity, and a lot safer. And then our global worker, who's a really good friend of mine, he was with me in Ukraine, his name is Ed Dixon. And uh, he's known this guy for 20 years. I've just known him for the last year or so. But he's known this guy for 20 years. And he heard that he, him and his wife, Anastasia, were going to leave. So Ed calls him. And he says, Sergey, I hear you're, you're thinking of leaving. Going to Lviv. He says, Sergey, look, if we could get you some money from Canada to help your church, because, of course, everyone had no job, so the church didn't have any money we can get some money to keep your church going. And if we can get you some money to buy groceries for the community, because everybody needed food, no one had a job, would you stay? And Sergei said, of course I'd stay. 
I've been here for 20 years. I don't want to go. The only reason I'm going is because I can't eat. So praise God, because of churches just like Bethel and many others like it, we were able to get them 500 bucks a month for the church and $4,000 Canadian a month to buy groceries for the community. Well, folks, they started buying groceries and just giving them out free to the community to whoever had need and everybody had need. Well, Sergey, like over, he's been in this community for 20 years. He started giving out these free groceries and overnight he becomes a rock star. He becomes the celebrity of the community. The next Sunday, following Sunday, after they started the grocery distribution, 46 people show up in church. A record! Hallelujah! And they baptized 12, I'm sorry, 10 of them in water, 10 new believers. And the church just kept growing and growing. And then he calls Ed at the end of July. And he says, Ed, I have a good problem. Our church is too small. We can't hold all the crowds that are coming. So again, with help from churches like this, we sent them for money from Canada. They were able to rent a much larger hall. It actually seats almost 350 people. They had the first service there, August the 7th, 2002, 176 people. In a, this is a church of 30 people for 20 years, right? 176 people, they baptized 32 new believers in water that day. Then in early October, I called Ed. I was speaking about other things. And as I was like going to hang up the phone, I said, oh, and Ed, say hi to Sergey for me. How's he doing? He must be thrilled with his church of 176 people. And Ed says to me, oh, no, Steve, you are so behind the times. That's old news. That's almost fake news. It's so old. That church is not 170. That church is 300 today. 300. And by the way, I had the privilege of being with Sergey and his wife at this conference three weeks ago. That church is not even 300 anymore. That church is 400 people. People are lining up an hour, two hours early. They open the doors of the church an hour before service. People are lined up to get a seat. And Sergei is even saying to them during the service, he says, okay, who here is a Christian? If you're a Christian, don't come next week. Save room for new people. Watch us online. And he says, whatever you do when you leave here, don't tell anybody about the services because we don't want to advertise. We, like they, if they, they couldn't handle the crowds. Folks, they're having revival. And where it started because people like you, generous, wonderful people here in Canada, gave money so we could give them help to buy groceries for the community. And today, they have 400-plus people in church every single Sunday. As a bunch of people don't even come because there's no room. Sergey told me he doesn't even do altar calls anymore because nobody wants to get up and come to the front because somebody will steal their seat. <clears throat> that's revival, folks. And that's happening because God is always working and because we have the privilege of working with him. And even though it's counterculture and even people think, people thought that we were crazy for going to Ukraine in the middle of a war, I'll tell you something. You obey God even when he's asking you to do countercultural things. And I guarantee you, that's when good things start to happen in Ukraine and in St. Paul. Amen? Can we stand together? I'm going to ask Cynthia and the worship team to come back. We were singing that song before, You're a Good, Good Father. And I'm going to ask them to, just to lead us in that one more time. Then I'm going to have Masha come and just conclude the service in prayer. Can we conclude, after singing this song, can we conclude by praying for Ukraine? Just praying for peace and praying that God will continue to move there. Because, you know, all, wonderful things are happening. But you know something, folks, at the same time, there's a terrible war going on. People are dying. Just during the worship service, Masha passed me her phone. There's a guy, a friend of hers from her church, who's on the front lines in Bakhmut right now as we speak, and they're getting the, 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 they're getting the stuff clobbered out of them with Russian shelling. And this guy could be dead any day. So can we pray for peace in Ukraine and that God would move? And can we pray that he would move right here in Canada as well? Because God is moving in spiritually dead Europe and in Canada as well. You're a good, good father. It's who you are, right? 
love so undeniable, peace so unexplainable. Let's pray for peace in Ukraine, physical and spiritual and in our God, I'm praying for peace that more than our understanding. Know God that you keep in the earth and we have prayers only because of you. Everything is in your hands. And you know what is happening in Ukraine. You know that there is war there. And I know God that everything is from you and you're a good father in any circumstances. I just ask that you will protect people. There will be no death. That you will keep houses safe. Just put your blood there. Put your blood there, God, how it's happened on Eastern. Just put your blood there. That dust will pass through and not touch people. I know, God, that you're doing revival and you're bringing light, bring your light more and bring your peace. Bring angels that will protect all the soldiers that trying to protect our land let they quote Bible with all their heart and always rely on you God that all people will talk to you they will say your beautiful name and they will bring their eyes to you their hearts I know God that everything is under control in your hands bring your peace bring your shalom to this land God thank you that you unite us for, the, for everything that you're doing and we will always say that our Redeemer is alive he's always alive God, and I'm, I want to pray for Canada. I want to pray for Canada. Bring your revival. Let this land will be good soil. Please burn our hearts that people, there will be not a casual sermon, but it will be a movement of your Holy Spirit. There will be such an explosion of your wind, your fresh wind that is coming. And people not coming back as usual. They just transformed because you giving them new breath. You giving new breath new love God are asking that you will take off all of the obstacles they will be dissolved in your presence in your presence God we want more of you we want more and I know God that you want to bring everyone to you that they will know your love and please start here, start it here in this, in this building, start it here. Bless, bless this place with people who will be not afraid. I'm praying that there will be no fear to go to community and say that they need Jesus the life and truth and hope in Jesus and they will find it here in Jesus name they will find it they will find family friends revival new life new hope they will find everything in you God because you is everything you are life Jesus' name.
God, anoint this place, anoint this people with your spirit. Bring you hope. Let it be your place. Dwell here. In every member of this church, dwell in their houses, in their jobs, in their families, in their kids, in their daily life. Dwell there. In Jesus' name. God, it's your place. We're surrounding ourselves. Fill us with new wine. Let make our vessels clean and be ready to receive new because you always give new. I bless this place in Jesus' name. Amen.